Pens have a fun roster of players for the most part, between guys like Joey Votto and Amir Garrett and Michael Lorenzen, and just guys who you feel good about rooting for. And there's also going to be probable Cy Young winner Trevor Bauer. Like, do, do you have enough good feelings for the rest of the roster to kind of get you through the the bowerness of every five days with him? I think so. I, and it's one of those teams, too, where it's like, it's been a while since we've had a team that was so fun to root for. You know, in the past, we've had maybe a few players here or there that you can really rally behind. You can get excited when Jay Bruce is, you know, hitting home runs or, you know, you go back farther and you've got like Adam Dunn and Ken Griffey Jr. smashing homers. Your team stinks, sure. <laughs> and sure, Adam Dunn's going to strike out one million times. But it's fun to watch him knock some balls out of the park. Um, Brandon Phillips was like such a big Cincinnati guy when he was here. Um, but, you know, again, mostly on bad teams. So to have a team where it's fun to root for somebody and because they're good dudes, first of all, like that's awesome. Then you've got somebody like a, a Joey Votto who it's like, well, he's one of the greatest players of all time. He doesn't yeah. get that credit, of course. But how can you not root for a guy like him, especially when he's also a great, thoughtful guy? You mentioned Garrett. And, of course, Bauer. We haven't had a player like him in a long time, Mm -hmm. somebody that is so confident but also delivering on that. You know, I hope they do whatever it takes to lock him up for a long time because he's just, like, such a fun dude. He's a, Mm -hmm. a fun player who is having an incredible season. He does deserve to win the Cy Young, I think. I don't know. Where do you fall down on that? Uh, Yeah, he is almost definitely going to win the Cy Young now, especially since Darvish has had not bad starts, but just kind of regular guy starts over the past uh, couple appearances, which means his ERA is now, I think, in the mid-twos, and Bauer is still below two right now, correct? Yeah, he is, I think, 179. Yeah, so I think he's kind of separated himself from the pack, and in a season that's pretty much over at this point, yeah, I think it's about fait accompli. Uh, yeah, in terms of his performance, you, you can't argue with that. In terms of who he is as a person, I got issues. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he's and, a guy that you I, have I issues when he's not in your clubhouse. You know, if he's yeah. in your clubhouse, oh, yeah. you overlook those issues. You're like, hey, he's you know calling out these cheaters. Hey, he's putting together the Sandlot game when COVID has canceled our season. You know, <laughs> he's doing fun stuff. Um, I can certainly see how people might not be big fans of him outside of the team. Yeah. I, I, I also just like, even from taking my Cub fan perspective and believe me, the Cub fan perspective says pass bag, but taking <laughs> that out of the equation. Like uh, even if you're, you're not a fan of, of the Reds, uh, you also kind of don't like Bauer. If you're a random college girl that he might be harassing on Twitter, for instance, or someone who's not a fan of MAGA and doesn't like to see stuff like that dropped. Like there, there's just, he, he's got, I mean, he's socially weird, which I, I get. And, yeah. and performers at an elite level often are socially weird, but there's like a little bit of extra, just kind of slimy, creepy vibe to him that, that I just can't quite ignore. Even though, I mean, he, he certainly works to portray himself as this fun, quirky, internet-friendly YouTube sensation. And honestly, the, even guys like uh, Len Casper, the Cubs play-by-play guy, has, has bought in. But as I say, that there's just too much in his past to make me think that... Yeah, see, 
you can't look at it too much. That's the problem. You got to look at the surface stuff. You got to have fun with it. He's going to be a Cy Young winner. When's the last Cy Young winner we had? I, I don't want to sit Good here Lord. and parse everything he, you know, has done wrong in his life. I want to take the surface value, Trevor Bauer fun. I want the ERA. And then I want the social perspectives of Joey Votto and Amir Garrett <laughs> and let them speak for the entire team. And then just sort of merge all that together. Bring some of the old memories of like guys who were, who were fun, you know, big personalities like a Bronson Arroyo and just kind of merge that all into what I think Trevor Bauer is because then I, it's a lot easier to root for him then. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. Uh, and certainly given that this is the most exciting a Reds team has been since the early 2010s, I would guess, uh, when they 2013, had 2013, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, yeah. And uh, I, I guess mentally I, I can kind of comp it a bit to uh, the 2016 Cubs because, I mean, in this podcast, everything comes back to the 2016 Cubs. Sorry, it's just the way I, <laughs> my brain tends to work. But that was, you know, the Cubs team of my lifetime with some of the most enjoyable, fun, and engaging players I've ever been fortunate to witness. And then they brought in a role as Chapman at the trade deadline. And I had to definitely kind of mentally figure out, okay, where does this genuine piece of shit person, how, how do I fit into rooting for the rest of this team, save for Addison Russell, we later found out, but that was in retrospect. But the rest of this team, who were a delight and who were bulldozing their way through the league. And the way that I kind of settled on, I guess, for that year was I was, first of all, rooting for them to fuck the closer, where if it was close in, like, the eighth inning, I wanted a burst of, like, five runs so they didn't have to bring him in the game. But even if they brought him in the game, it was like, okay, I can't cheer for you but I will be happy when you finish and this game went and this game is over and the Cubs have won and I guess yeah. that's how I mean that that's a lot of mental work to go through for something that but it's, yeah I do think it's a little bit easier to compartmentalize a, a closer than yeah. it is a starter oh it absolutely you know, especially you know you look at a guy that wants to take the ball on three days rest because you're in the middle of a playoff push and you look at somebody like that and that's the type of thing that makes those old school baseball fans just lose their minds because it's like oh this is this is a guy that's about the game he's a real gamer you know you get a lot of that stuff people that don't understand numbers or or anything modern but uh, they like that attitude from a guy that's willing to kind of maybe put himself a little bit more at risk to try and help the team um you know, with a closer, it's so easy to be like, ah, hopefully he doesn't factor into it with a starter. He's going to have a pretty big role to play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have at least five or six, or in, in Bauer's case, especially seven or eight, because he goes long in every start, too. Uh, that you mm-hmm. just kind of, yeah, it, it is definitely a different mentality approaching cheering for that. And I, I totally understand that. Do you think that the Reds have a chance to resign him? Is, is he still talking about one-year deals, first of all? Because I know that's kind of his thing. Yeah, that's what I was hearing last. I mean, I don't think that they will. I mean, first of all, the team will pay people that they really believe in. You know, uh, I think Brandon Phillips had a pretty bad contract that proved that. Joey Votto has an enormous contract, and I am one that will still defend it. I still think that it was a good move, and he's a good player. He's somebody that you want to be part of your franchise's history. And so the fact that they are willing to pay players like that you know, I think they'll be competitive for him. I think it's going to depend on what happens in the postseason, whether or not he wants to stay here. Um, you know, he'll get paid. 
you know, maybe this is the year that he capitalizes on winning the Cy Young and maybe he wants to get paid before, you know, it comes out that he's been doctoring the ball or something like <laughs> that, you know, um, get, get your payday before mm-hmm. it's gone. I could definitely see him going that route, but um, I would put it at 50-50 at best that he's a red next year. Mm-hmm. Although I would love to, in my mind, you know, have him anchoring the, the rotation again. Yeah, and even if he's gone, you've still got a rotation with Castillo and Sonny Gray, and that's a hell of a place to start for most teams, especially Absolutely. being so, you know, it's starting as such a commodity right now. It's scarce in the game. Yeah, and that's the thing that really puzzled me this season. Is, you know, every three years you hear people talk about pitching and, and how important it is, that starting pitching. And as a Reds fan that sort of grew up with, with guys like Dunn and Griffey and you know, Austin Kearns and Jay Bruce, you had these outfielders that can smash the ball, but they did not hit for average well. They didn't get on base enough. Um, and we didn't have the, the pitching along with it. We had some guys that would, you know, shoot some fireworks off at, at Great American Ballpark, and that would be enough for a while. To have a team that finally this season, you know, had a great rotation to start, and you win on opening day in a convincing fashion, and you can convince yourself, like, all right, here's the top, here's the team. This is what we've waited for. They spent a little bit of money. We're going to make a push. This is our time. And Cincinnati is a baseball town when they're winning. You know, having the oldest professional team, the Bengals have made some inroads to that when they got Chad Johnson and Carson Palmer, had a little bit of a craze. They were kind of regulars in the playoffs for a while, never won a game. Sure, but they're in there. And you saw the Reds love kind of fall a little bit by the wayside. But then you see Jay Bruce, you know, knock that home run that clinches the the playoff spot. And right away, you're just back to full-on baseball town. Um, And then in the past few years, they've been struggling mightily. They've been outdrawn by a minor league soccer team, which became the new craze in Cincinnati. And now (laughs) that they're an MLS team, you know, they went quickly from your, their minors to a, ascending mm. and that's been its own phenomenon. It's, um, you know, largely was paved by the Reds, you know, inability to have wins. Um, so this season was supposed to be the season that opening day. I was like, all right, good. We're locked in. This is going to be so fun. Not a lot else going on because of quarantine and the season will be weird, but here we go. And then for it to fall apart so quickly, it just felt so Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, so the fact that we're, you know, where we are now is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, let's put a pin in that for a second. I'll do the show open and we'll jump right into where you left off here. Cause Sorry. this is yeah. the three, three strikes you're out podcast, part of the Outsports podcast network, the Outsports baseball podcast, episode number 45, the Pedro Martinez episode of three strikes you're out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports baseball prospectus and comedian in absentia. The other voice you were hearing on this particular episode is one of my biggest Cincinnati Reds fan friends. He is one of my New York comedy friends who is now back in the Queen City, and his album Think Fast is available on all streaming services everywhere. Mark Shalafu is joining us. Mark, thank you for being here, my friend. I am so happy to be anywhere, even virtually. <laughs> I, Talking to another person outside of my house, it's, it's great. Human communication, is that allowed in 2020? <laughs> not much longer no certainly not and uh speaking of not being somewhere i guess we will jump back into where i had you put a pin for a second because so you're excited about 2020 and big opening day win and they're at a point now where 
if the season were to end today and it's only three more days left, they would be the eighth seed in the National League playoffs. Do you feel bad you haven't been able to see one of these games in person for the most exciting Reds team since 2013? Um, I feel bad that I haven't been able to go to a ballpark. Uh, that's just because that's just such a, a unique sporting experience. Um, you know, you go to an NBA game, it, it's high intensity. It's, you know, lots of bright lights. It's fun. You go to Great American Ballpark, you don't know what you're going to see necessarily. You might get kind of a slow afternoon if the bats aren't hitting. And there are plenty of afternoons when the bats aren't hitting. <laughs> but it, it's such a great sporting experience. So I've missed that. Um, it, there is a little bit of irony in the fact that this is a big baseball town. And now that we have a winning baseball team, um, it's been a little bit of a bummer that we can't be there in person, but on the flip side of that, you know, I say we're a winning team. We're barely above 500 right. and it's been fun to see the excitement of the last, you know, two, three weeks kind of manifest itself in a different way. Whereas, you know, now you've got fans setting up lawn chairs outside the ballpark, listening on radios and stuff. Hmm. And there's sort of more of this like organic movement. And, you know, you're talking a few hundred fans versus thousands, but it's kind of fun to see stuff like that pop up and you can still feel the excitement of having a team like this. So I'm glad that they are doing what they're doing, even though we can't see it, you know, much rather take a winning squad that I can't go see than a losing squad that I can't see. <laughs> and that's, I think, one of the basic rules of humanity in general. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I would rather not see a team that is going to make the playoffs or go to 30 games for a team that's 45 games out. Yeah. I do feel bad for ownership, though, because, you know, they had been getting drubbed and literally on by a minor league soccer team. So mm. often you hear the mantra in sports. You know, you want to fill your stands. It's not about shooting hot dogs out of cannons. It's not about singles night in the bleachers and all the fun promotions and bobbleheads you can throw at people. It's about wins. Wins puts fans into the stands. So they spent money. They, they tried to do things the right way to put a winning squad out there so they could fill their stadium again. <laughs> and that's not happening. <laughs> that's almost like the, the, the ending of like an O. Henry story, where it's, it's the big <laughs> twist that they finally learned the lesson that, yeah, okay, we got to spend in order to, to make money. And now that we spend, it's impossible. Ugh. Right. But I, and listen, if you're going to make a list of, of tragic figures during the COVID-19 area, I don't think that, you know, wealthy sports owners are going to be too high up there. So don't give them too much sympathy, I guess. Yeah. It is just a little funny ir irony, I guess. Yeah. I, I do like the image. Uh, I didn't know that people were gathering in lawn chairs kind of outside the Great American Ballpark perimeter. Is anybody like trying to find knot holes in the fence or little gaps in the stands to see if they can see like little parts of the field too? Yeah, I think it would be a little bit tricky to pull that off. So mm. I haven't seen that happen. That would be fun to see, you know, kind of like a, like a Wrigley-esque where you have like people on, on buildings nearby trying to peek yeah. in or whatever. But um, I have not seen that yet. But at least there is a little bit more excitement in that whole entertainment district surrounding the stadium, which, you know, finally came to life a few years ago. Um so it's nice to, to at least see something organic like that. Cause we really, you don't see a lot of that in Cincinnati. You see a lot of people that opening day is a holiday, the holiest day of the year in this town. But after that, the excitement starts to wane as the team gets drugged on the field, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe it gets fired up a little bit for 
maybe the Cubs come to town, you know, and those games are fun because Chicago has got so many fans in Cincinnati and there's just as many blue shirts as red shirts in the stands. So that makes it for an interesting experience. Or, you know, maybe you go to a Cardinals game hoping to see a massive brawl on the field. Um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that w- would pique your interest. But um, to have the, the interest in the team this late in the season has been, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. That, that, that is a rough stretch when the only things that get you excited to go to the ballpark are opening day or maybe someone gets kicked in the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe you see somebody's career get ruined, but <laughs> you, know, you get to see a pretty awesome fight. Maybe somebody's career gets ruined who's not a Reds pitcher. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so right now, I've, I've got a theory that the Reds are kind of bizarro Cubs in 2020. Because they started off, and especially in that first month, they had really solid pitching. You had Bauer going well. Uh, Castillo didn't have the good one-loss record, but he's effective. You had Sonny Gray. But nobody outside of big Nick Energy, Nick Castellanos, was hitting. And then all of a sudden, come about mid-September, it's like the switch flipped. And now, if their stats aren't where they usually are, there's at least power from most of the spots where you expect power in that lineup. And the Cubs, conversely, started out the season 13-3, and and they had good power, low average throughout the lineup. And I guess the question I want to ask is, for the first six weeks, how was that feeling, watching, knowing that the rotation had lined up the way that they had planned it in the offseason, but the offense was utterly shitting the bed? Because I can tell you, that feeling sucks. It fucking sucks, as the last week of Cubs baseball will attest to. Yeah, it was tough because, like I said, you know, you did the right thing and you stacked that rotation and everything else should fall into line. Last year, we had a strong rotation. We didn't have enough bats, so they did go out and they tried to bolster the lineup a little bit, which, um, you know, you got to respect. So the fact that they still, the bats they had weren't hitting and, and the guys that you are used to relying on, like Suarez and Vado, even – were just coming up empty for you. And that's hard because there was so much talk about how this is a shortened season. Every game matters so much more. You know, every game is counts for three games. So we are not going to take our foot off the gas. We are going to come to play every day. They have such a strong opening day. You start to believe that talk. You start to believe the hype from the off season and, you know, the roster moves that they made. And then for them to just fall, all off the face of the it's just it was really struggling you're struggling as a fan to, to make sense of it because on paper on paper it should be there <laughs> but it was not there in the in the scores and, and you know the what was happening on the field and it was just mystifying at times that the guys that you're really hoping to come through and just do the, like the, the little things you're not asking for them to carry the load you've got a good starting rotation and you know, between that and the bullpen just utterly being on fire, just terrible those first, you know, mm. first month and a half. Just, gosh, you felt bad because you don't normally get starting pitching of the caliber that we had. And to waste some of those outings, Castillo in particular, threw some total gems that he got no support for. And I can't imagine what that would feel like to be somebody who's one of the best players in the game, who's has an incredible personal effort just get abandoned by the rest of your team would have to be infuriating so at least it's been a little heartening to see those guys come back to life over the last two and a half weeks 
It, it is one of the most helpless feelings as a fan of the world when you see guys that you know and you've built trust with to this point perform so far below what you expect their capabilities are. Like the, the past couple of weeks of college baseball and really the past month, honestly, you, you just almost want to walk up to guys like Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo, or as you were saying for you at the beginning of the season, guys like Suarez or Vado, and you almost want to like reason with them. Like, you know, you're good, right? Like, this is not you, whatever you're doing, like on the field. I, I know this is what's happening, but you're better than this. And, and there, there's no way to get out of it other than, I guess, just to wait and hope that their luck changes or they make an adjustment to get to it. Uh, do you feel that uh, Suarez has, has made a proper adjustment? Because he's up to, I think, 15 homers I saw the other day. So he's, he's at least he, giving you that tool. He is. I mean, the fact that he's boosted even his batting average, you know, by 50 points or so over the last two and a half weeks, his on-base percentage, he's increased that over the last 10, 11 games. Um, you know, like you said, he's hit some home runs. He's had like three or four something wrong, you know, nine or 10 RBIs in that stretch. So he's really been one of those factors for this turnaround. And the fact that the team has hit another, you know, you've got guys like Suarez, who's finally giving you what he's supposed to do. You've got guys like Joey Votto. Honestly, I love Votto. Mm -hmm. Such a cerebral player, such a thoughtful person. Um, you know, one of the game's best hitters of all time. He doesn't get credit for it because he's been settled on some abysmal rosters, um, but he's a, a, an all-time great hitter. You want to see him succeed. You want to see a guy like that finally get to have some success. But when he's part of the reason your team's struggling, you know, you hate to see a good guy not play well and not play what he's capable of playing. I mean, not that he's vintage Votto. He's not going to be in his prime. But the fact is, he's been playing a lot better, too. You know, he had a big home run yesterday, um, or maybe it's two days ago now. But the fact of the matter is, you know, he's hitting the ball a whole lot better now too. So, you know, you need, especially this late in the season, you need the guys that you're counting on to finally start to deliver. Yeah, and they that, have been. That, that's good to hear that, that he's doing well because uh, have I told you Joey Votto is my favorite non-cub of the past 10 years? You have not. Oh yeah. But yeah. he is, I mean, he is the best hitter of this generation. First and foremost, it's like he is, he is a savant and a genius to watch. He's, He's someone that even in awful years like 2017, like if the Cubs weren't playing, I would go to MLB.tv and like follow the Reds box score. And every time it, he was due up first or second in an inning, I would flip over to the telecast just to watch the at-bat. Because, I mean, it's, it's like getting to glimpse Picasso for like five or ten minutes at a time when he's in his prime and, and, and hitting. And... Um, so he's also a big comedy fan too, which, really? uh, you know, well, he came out to go bananas a few times once just cause his power went out. He's like, I want to do something. So he <laughs> came out to the comedy club by himself and okay. like was a good dude, took pictures with the staff and, you know, hung out and talked with everybody as gracious as could be. And that it's always cool. when you see guys do like stuff like that. God, I, I would lose my damn mind if I saw Joey Votto in the crowd and I was on stage because I, 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 there is a hundred percent chance I have dropped a Joey Votto reference in Go Bananas once or twice in a set. So, yeah. Oh my God, that that that's cool. That, uh, I mean, I admired him going into this, and now it's it's up a level. And that uh, unless you know he tells us like his his favorite is Adam Carolla or something like that. Then, <laughs> God, yeah. Um, 
So do you, do you feel, I mean, he's obviously in something of a decline phase. He really hasn't had a Joey Votto year since 2017. Um, but there's still kind of enough there that you're seeing that makes you think that he is definitely worth getting out of the field as a regular player. Yeah. I mean, he's over, you know, again, we're looking at a stretch of the last 10, 12 games. He's been hitting something like 260. He's got mm-hmm. half of his home runs over that time. Um, you know, he's a guy that's finally starting to, to come around a little bit. He's getting on base in most of those games. Uh, and he's starting to look a little bit more like the old Votto did enough that you want a guy with that leadership out on the field too. So, you know, whether you're batting him at lead off, which probably makes sense or wherever you stick him, he's a guy that you, you're going to want during this stretch, especially now he's started to come back around. Hmm. Now, if we're talking about Joey Votto from four weeks ago, instead of the last two and a half weeks, then you kind of have to start to ask yourself some questions and, the thing I like about Vado is nobody was harder on himself during that slump than he was. You know, he's a guy that's a very cerebral approach to the game. He's really examining what was going wrong and kind of putting a lot of work into fixing it. And, you know, he does it. He's not going to be Vado from his prime. He's not going to be the guy that totally puts the team on it on his back or anything like that. But the fact is he has been a productive player and having a productive Joey Vado is definitely going to be a piece that this team needs going forward, you know, because they're going to, the starting pitching, especially in the playoffs, that'll always give you a chance. So when you have a guy like Lotto that can get on base and that can get you some hits. Um, you know, he's a guy that you're, you're going to win with him in the lineup. And if he's not himself, then I don't see how it's going to happen any other way. Yeah. The, th- the thought is occurring to me as you're describing this, that Joey Votto's favorite baseball player is Ted Williams. And, when you're describing kind of how he holds himself to such a high standard and if he falls below, he just works and works and works until he gets it again. And that, I mean, nothing describes Teddy Ballgame more than that as, as someone mm-hmm. who just lived for hitting and hitting and hitting until he met that ridiculous standard that he held himself. And the thought occurs to me too, that uh, if I were on stage and Joey Votto dropped into a comedy club, I think I would spend most of my time talking Ted Williams with him. So we would grind the show to a halt and just be thrown out. Yeah, 42 career on base. How about that, Joey? <laughs> well, Joey's a nice enough guy that he would have stayed after the show to talk to Williams with you. He even was like buying CDs from guys and oh, God. afterwards and like really, uh, he was a good dude. He's a nice enough guy to still buy CDs in 2020. Even that in and of itself is impressive. <laughs> Yeah, that really puts you at the top of my list when you're buying comics merch that uh, you probably <laughs> don't have a CD player in your dang car. You know, <laughs> Joey Votto goes home every night with commemorative signed women's underwear from some <laughs> random middle from Kentucky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you see the uh, the Cubs Reds fight from late August when uh, mm-hmm. teams were going up and in on each other? I had a moment there because that started when Anthony Rizzo yelled at David Bell to let's just play ball and stop arguing after Bell was out arguing with the umps after brushbacks were thrown. And Vado was like the first out of the dugout to get in Rizzo's face. So we have Vado, my favorite non-cub, and Rizzo, who is very much my favorite cub of this current era and probably maybe number two all-time favorite cub, going at each other. And for me watching it, there was a sense of, I mean, I got to be Team Tony 2 chains at this point, but also... It's like mom and dad are fighting. I want it to stop. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. But, you know, you got to like uh, Votto stand. 
standing up for uh, for his guy there because Bell has had a tough go of things this season. Um, yeah. You know, there was that period where the bats weren't alive and the bullpen was a mess and mm. a lot of fingers going around, but uh, most of them ended up back at Bell. So yeah. the fact that the, the teams kind of come around and I think he's a fine, I don't think he's a terrible um, guy in there, but you know, when you're talking managers, boy, he was uh, enemy number one, I think in this wow. town for a, for a good chunk of time, just in over his head, tinkling with the lineup doesn't know what he's doing he's ruining because again people wanted answers you know like we said earlier on paper this should be working if it's not who's who do we blame here and a lot of times you know a coach or a manager is going to get that blame before necessarily the owner or the individual players or something like that you need a scapegoat and he was the scapegoat and depending on how the next few days go could still be the scapegoat but you know winning cures everything that's interesting. That's that's the first I've heard that uh, that idea that uh, Joey Votto was kind of standing up for a very beleaguered manager at that point because that makes a little more sense in terms of like the the volume that that he was kind of getting involved at, at that particular moment too because he was really really demonstrative uh, yelling back at the Cubs after Rizzo and Bell had gotten into it. So, uh, so that that in my mind that that makes it a little more I. I I don't know. Rational is probably not the, not the right word for a baseball fight, but it, right. it lo- logical is not either, but it makes baseball sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get the yeah. sense the organization was going after David Bell at the time? Because this, this is the first I've heard that. No, I think it was mostly fans. And, you know, whether it's justified or not, a lot of people, you know, they, they want somebody to blame. And it's hard to say that it's, oh, it's this one guy. Because especially in baseball, you know, when you have a bullpen that's falling apart, it's not just one guy that's blowing every game. You can't just say it's Iglesias, who, who he's terrible, you know, and he was for a while. But, um, you know, he's another guy that's turned around lately who has been impressive. But, um, yeah, so Bell was getting a lot of the, the ire and the fans – um, you know, and again, he's a guy that doesn't have a ton of, you know, experience necessarily, but being a, a hometown guy, you know, you think he would have gotten a little bit more grace from people, but the stakes were high this season. So when a team's not performing well, that's who they're going to look at. You know, it's just like in football, it's the quarterback, it's the head coach, you know, in basketball, it's going to be the biggest contract on the team and then the, the coach before it's the GM or the owner or, you know, the, the defensive specialist, even if he's not doing his job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and honestly, almost every other position that you mentioned has more day-to-day effect on an actual outcome of one specific game than a manager usually does, too, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. But in baseball, at, yeah, it very much for me, too. I, I've gotten mad at managers irrationally and held grudges. I mean, I, I, to this day, Jim Riggleman is someone who, for some reason, just gets, makes my skin crawl, uh, even though he's <laughs> fine. There, there was, there yeah. didn't do anything awful, but, uh, but it's, it's just I mean, ingrained in us. People were mad at Bell. And this is, like, I understand some of it. If you're just a casual baseball fan, you're watching this Cincinnati team play in early August, let's say, uh, and, you know, you've got starting pitchers that are amazing, and they throw six spectacular innings and they get pulled after six, maybe seven innings. And then, you know, we have a three, three to one lead. And then it's just boom, before you know it, you're down nine to three or <laughs> seven to three. And you're like, wait, whoa, 
well, you know, let's let these starters who are killing it pitch a little bit longer. Like, what what sense does it make to take these guys out? Let them go if they're if they're feeling it. But then you look at the raw numbers, and we were our starters were pitching more innings than any other team in baseball. So it's not like Bell had a short trigger with these guys where he was hooking them way too early and bringing them out and not letting them play. And some of those guys, you know, like, like a Bauer, they want to pound their chest and be the big man that pitches all nine innings every time they get the ball. Um, but the fact is, like, he still was riding his starters pretty hard, and there wasn't a data reason for them to be mad about that. But when you're watching the team, you say, well, the bullpen's a problem. Let's not even let them onto the field. You know, that's kind of what the angle the fans took. Yeah. And we're just not in an era, as you say, where starters go long. It's, it's between – pitch counts and kind of max effort from every pitch from every starter. If you're having starting pitchers go six innings, like that is, that's considered a bullpen saver in, in the modern. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of the way it is. It it feels weird to say, but that, that is the the matter of the reality that we live in right now. Yeah. Um, Especially with a shorter season. Yeah. You don't want your guys going nine innings every time out. Right. And yeah, so many of these guys didn't have enough time to ramp up either. So that's probably for a lot of them just kind of getting into what would be normal shape maybe over the past three weeks or so. so. Mm-hmm. Totally. And uh, so we hinted at this in uh, talking about Votto earlier. So in Joey Votto and Amir Garrett, the Reds have two of the most woke players that I can think of in MLB right now <laughs> in terms of Votto writing the Inquirer editorial back after George Floyd's murder saying that I was wrong earlier to think this wasn't as serious a problem as it is. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to listen and I'm ready to understand. And Amir Garrett, after Tom Brenneman's uh, F-bomb on live TV, hitting Twitter immediately after the game to say, LGBTQ community, I'm sorry, we hear you and you're always welcome here. Do, does Cincinnati appreciate the fact that you have guys who are this progressive in a sport that is decidedly not progressive on this no. team? No, I don't think they appreciate it enough. Because mm-hmm. um, in baseball, in general, that's rare. You know, you look at a sport like the NBA and you feel like they have got a really good handle on social issues and, you know, they're doing a lot of the things right, whereas the NFL is like the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And you have certain fans that don't care for that stuff that every week they say, well, that's it. I'm never watching again. Yet somehow they, they feel the need to say that every few weeks, which means they're still watching. Mm-hmm. They're not turning their game off because of what happens during the song that's played before the game. <laughs> um, I do think that, you know, the Reds are starting to attract some younger fans, which, which is good. And those people do appreciate the thoughtfulness of guys like Garrett and Votto and, I do think people are, are quick to understand that Tom Brenneman is not his dad. So he's not given any sort of extra favors beyond the fact that he had a job to begin with in, in sports broadcasting. Um, so nobody's certainly rushing to his defense, but um, I don't think they truly appreciate what they have with Votto and Garrett. And there are, there is a segment of fans that do, you know, people that follow the team ardently people that, um, are halfway intelligent kind of get it that these are you know, a rare figures and um, you know, you're glad to have those guys in your clubhouse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good that there is a segment of the fan base that gets that because in baseball and as someone who, as you know, is, is kind of, it tries to be politically active and aware as much as I can. 
I've, I've kind of resigned myself for the most part to my favorite players. You know, if they're a nice guy, then fine. It feels like you're ahead of the game at that point. But if there's someone who has like legit good thoughts about actual social issues, like those are the people that I want to see leading the sport and bringing in, as you say, the next generation of younger fans, because that's going to make it more open and more welcoming. And, and uh, those are the guys. Not, who- only, not only that, but just to make it, make the clubhouses more open and welcoming. Yes. You know, the fans are one thing, but you think about like how these guys come up in sports and, in sports locker rooms can be very homogenous in the way they see the world, of course, in a sport like baseball too, where there's not a ton of diversity. You know, there's not a lot of younger African-American players playing the game at most levels anymore. Um, you know, you're getting more Hispanic influence, but that doesn't happen until you know, teams or players are in like college or the minors and stuff like that. Um, so the fact that like you can have guys that are really pushing things, even, you know, common sense things like talking about mental health and stuff like that, having those conversations and sort of normalizing that stuff from players that are good. I think that does worlds a difference to, to break some of these old school guys that plague the sports world of like, oh, this is how it's done. This is baseball. You, you do it this way. You, you, you know, we don't got time for this other crap or, you know, football is even worse, of course. But, mm-hmm. you know, those two sports that can be very archaic in their way of thinking. So just to have, you know, younger players that could look up to Garrett and Novato and, you know, know that it's OK to, to have a voice and to not accept certain behaviors from your teammates is huge. Yeah. And, and Vado is someone who has spoken to issues of mental illness because didn't he miss uh, part of a season dealing with a bit of depression back around like did. 2009. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And, you know, even stuff like that, you know, uh, evoked very different responses from people in the city, depending on what your age was. And oh yeah. You, again, you don't want sports talk radio callers to discuss anything relating to that. That's no, it's somebody that worked in sports talk radio for a couple of years. Uh, I've got very many opinions about sports talk radio callers God. and that is not the a topic that they could uh, handle with any sort of nuance. <laughs> you mean Buck from Covington didn't have a whole lot of sympathy for Joey Votto going yeah, into yeah. depression? Man, people that are still listening to AM radio, even though it's you know twenty minutes of commercials for every ten minutes that you're actually listening. Um, <laughs> well, how are you going to know what the pro- what the most popular erectile dysfunction pills are? <laughs> it's crazy how it's all dick pills. It literally AM radio commercials are all dick pills. <laughs> That's all we have left. That's the only industry thriving in America in 2020 at this point. It's so insane. Yeah. You made reference to uh, Tom Brenneman not being in the same, I guess, social sphere or sphere of respect as Marty had among the fan base. So does that mean, would they be understanding if the Reds fired Tom Brenneman after this year because of the incident? I think there's a lot of fans that are a little disappointed it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted it to happen immediately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the vague suspension that'll probably end up with him not calling again again. That is, you know, it's just a cop-out. A lot of fans wanted it to happen right away. Um, and again, you know, what he did was, it, it was it was very bad, yeah. right? But also, he's a guy that nobody was sticking their neck out to save anyway. You know, if it's a good person that, that <laughs> makes a mistake, then people are like, all right, well, listen, let's look at the whole picture. Let's look at this, look at that. If you're kind of a jerk and people think you're a douche anyway, and then you <laughs> you know, prove yourself to be an asshole on air. Not a lot of people are coming out to defend you. 
And, um, you know, his apology where he stopped in the middle of it to call a home run was probably mm-hmm. one of the funniest things that I've seen <laughs> happen in a sports broadcast. But, yeah, I think the feeling among Reds fans is that they are disappointed it wasn't immediate or that it's still sort of lingering weirdly. Um, does he deserve another chance? No, of course he doesn't. There are way too many broadcasters that in sports that aren't going to get a shot. There's only, you know, 30 some pro jobs out there. And even for a guy like him that, you know, if you're not the main play by play guy, still, there's not that many analyst jobs. There's, there's not that many jobs at the pros anyway. So, you know, there are so many broadcasters that deserve a crack rather than throwing out a retread who's really living off the grace of, um, hmm. you know, his, his dad's name and his dad's legacy he's not his dad and you know he may have gotten his shot because of his dad but you don't get two shots for that sorry right. there's other guys that you can bring in and you know i'm not saying the guy should never work anywhere again but he's not talented enough he's not nice enough to really put yourself out for when you've got a million other people that can do that job and deserve a fair shake at it yeah i, I love that honesty and i love that harshness it's, it's good to hear uh and we've we've had uh just from an outsports perspective we immediately after uh, the clip hit the internet, we published two differing editorials from our co-founder Sid and my editor Dawn on both on opposite sides of the I wouldn't fire Brenneman or I would fire Brenneman. But in either case, and I think, and this is very much where I fall on, and this is what my article about it was all about, is that this is also, regardless of whether or not he is fired, this is your opportunity and to take, and I'm hoping that he's taking it, to realize that, okay, this is me showing the world my ass in terms of me being a bad person for everybody to see and hear. And now it's my turn to step back and to listen and to commit, like really commit to self-improvement and going forward, trying to legitimately be a better person. And regardless of what his job status is, like that is the most important thing to me is, is if you can emerge from this, like legitimately changed and wanting to make these changes with yourself, then maybe something good can come of it, but that would really be the only thing that I can think of. Yeah. I mean, I think there can be something good that could come up from that perspective. Like he can do that even if he gets fired. If you fire the guy right away, there's a lot of good that can come out of that by, you know, showing that you're not going to tolerate that kind of thing. And um, it's not something that, it's not like you're taking your, your star player off the field over it. This is a guy that's not a major part of the team. It's not a major part of the broadcast. There's a million Tom Brennamans out there. Yeah. And if you look at his body of work and, you know, who he is and take away the last name, it's a guy that you don't need to really go on a limb for. And there, are, I understand the argument of like, well, he can grow from this and, you know, what he said, it could have been a one-time mistake or whatever. And, maybe you can't for that, you know, fine. But, you know, you don't owe the guy that much to let him figure that out and make this big comeback and apology. He hasn't put enough into it where he's earned that sense to really have that. When there are guys that, you know, they lose their jobs for much less at the pro level, you know, just for not being good at their jobs. Right. And honestly, there are a lot of people that want to Tom Brennan fired because he's just not good at his job. <laughs> So when you throw a huge mistake like that on top of it and, you know, prove yourself to be kind of an asshole, yeah, nobody wants you around anymore. Yeah, there's, there's a million Tom Brennamans out there and you can find most of them at an anti-masking rally. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to plug while I still have you here? 
who I wish I had a bunch of stand updates. I had a lot that were canceled, uh, you know, uh, because of our current nightmare. The, the toughest but, uh, question to ask in 2020, I know. No, I guess I would just tell people that they can uh, check out my album on Spotify or Pandora or Amazon, you know, any of those places where you can get it relatively cheaply or free if you already have a subscription. Um, I would plug that. And also the dad on Instagram and Facebook, who I've been contributing jokes and, and content for and a lot of good people there. And, you know, they do a good job of like having, it, it's not just parenting jokes, just funny <laughs> jokes. Some of the best joke writers I've worked with work on, um, you know, that account. So that's been a fun exercise for me over the last, you know, six months or so. It's kind of working with those people and a format that I'm not totally accustomed to since... <laughs> It's different than pure stand-up, but it's, uh, you know, they do a really good job of just having stress out there. So it's a nice way to break up your feed. And you're scrolling on your phone through a lot of terrible news and depressing <laughs> tweets and baseball teams that, you know, have a, a shaky bullpen. You want something that'll bring a quick smile on your face, and that's the way to go. Yeah. So writing for the dad, that means you're bringing both children and laughter into the world. And in this year... I mean, that's practically yeah. qualification for sainthood. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, yeah, uh, the Reds are the team that no one wants to play, but you, sir, are a friend that everyone wants to listen to. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you.